Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at wearecitywalkca. All right, that was a quick intro, Mark. You weren't playing. Not enough time to settle my nerves. But anyways, how are we doing this morning, CityWalk? All right. That settles my nerves. Appreciate that. Uh, But good morning, everybody. Uh, I am excited to be here. I'm excited to get to share with you guys this morning. I'm excited that you guys are here and that we get to enjoy worship together. Uh, If you're visiting today or if you're online and you don't know this face and we haven't been able to meet yet, uh, my name is Matt Lynch. I'm part of the teaching team here at CityWalk Church. And uh, let's see, um, 2019, I got connected to CityWalk. And so uh, before then, um, my wife and I, we actually lived in Virginia. And so we lived in Hampton Roads, Virginia. We went to college there. We met there. And um, we were doing ministry out there with another church plant. And then we got a phone call 2015 that my mom was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. So we packed up our bags, sold as much as we could. We drove my little 2001 Honda Civic that looked like it was about to break down all the way across the country. And we actually made it. Literally, people at our church were like, you guys are driving that from Virginia to California? I said, do you believe in God or what? what do we, yeah, we're going to drive it. God's going to get us there. Uh, anyway, so we made the truck all the way across uh, uh, this, the country. And uh, we stayed with my parents for a couple months. And uh, after my mom was done with chemotherapy and radiation, we needed somewhere that we can afford to live. Pismo Beach is not it. Okay? So we looked around the state. I applied for some teaching jobs. Uh, got up here in 2015, and in uh, 2015, we were serving at another local church in town, and in, like I said, in 2019, we got connected to CityWalk, and so now we've been here, and I am one of the few people on the leadership team that's actually not from Florida, okay? Uh, but it is what it is, okay? I get to hear about how good Florida is all the time. One day, I'll go visit. Um, anyways, man, some of you guys probably knew that backstory. You kind of knew a little bit about where I came from. But something that you probably don't know about me is that we're actually coming up on my favorite week of the year. Are there any other Thanksgiving lovers in this house? Come on. Thank you. Thanksgiving is legitimately my favorite holiday of the year. Okay. Thanksgiving, along with like the six days after where I'm still eating leftovers, okay, all of that. That's why I said week, not day. Thanksgiving lasts a week, okay? But for real though, like, Thanksgiving is super exciting to me. And I, one of the things I'm trying to figure out is, like, why in the world is, like, the best food in the planet saved for one week? It's like, what? Like, I want Thanksgiving all the time. I'm literally asking my wife throughout the year, like, hey, can we, like, get some, like, collard greens and some mac and cheese? And, like, can we have a Thanksgiving meal? It's like, what? It's not even the holiday season. But Thanksgiving is a time that I really enjoy. And I might be a nerd, man, but honestly, last week... We were talking about Christmas songs, and Chris was talking about how there's kind of like that sweet spot of when you can start listening to Christmas music. Well, when November 1st hit, I started listening to my Thanksgiving music. 
Oh, what's funny? Like, no, here's my favorite Thanksgiving song. Go ahead and play my Thanksgiving song. This is my favorite one right here. November 1st hit, and I'm playing this, and I'm enjoying it. Chicken, turkey. <laughs> Come on. Listen. Chicken, turkey. See, if I could dance, I'd do that. my favorite part. Greens, beans, potatoes, tomatoes, greens, beans, greens, beans. Look, that's my Thanksgiving music right there. Look, now you guys know what I'm talking about. And I'm not kidding you. I actually listened to that on my way to work a couple times this week. Like when the beat drops, I'm just like greens, beans, potatoes, tomatoes. I love all of that food. She is talking to me. Whatever church that is, I need to go visit it because she's speaking to my soul. All right. But for real though, like Thanksgiving is a good time, and I know you guys like it um, as well as me. Uh, but one of the other things, man, that we got to figure out is, you know, I want to find out who's in the room today. This is like a, a common battle that we have, and I just want to know this real quick. Like, what is the one dessert that cannot be missed at Thanksgiving? Right, right? The dessert, the one dessert, right? For some of you, it might be an apple pie person. You, you might be a pumpkin pie person. You might be a sweet potato pie person. So we can make some noise in church today, okay? So we're going to have a vote. We're going to take a poll real quick, and I'm really interested in this, okay? Don't break my heart, okay? Some of you already know what my love is, okay? But let's see. All my apple pie people make some noise. Okay, okay. All my pumpkin pie makes some noise. Okay. All my sweet potato pie lovers make some noise. Yeah, there's like five of us, okay? It is what it is, okay? That is my favorite, okay? And if you have not had sweet potato pie, let me know, because when I come back from my mama's house, I might have a slice for you, because you ain't had my mama's sweet potato pie, that's why you don't like it, okay? As soon as you have my mama's sweet potato pie, it's going to change your life, all right? But even beyond the great food that we all get to enjoy for Thanksgiving, uh, there's, there's some more that goes with Thanksgiving that's really, really important and things that we really get to enjoy, right? Thanksgiving comes with a lot of family traditions, right? Some of you guys, you're getting ready, and you're going to get to travel, and you're going to get to go see some family, and that's nice. Some of you guys are excited because you're packing your bags, and you get to travel to get away from family, right? Some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, I look forward to that too, right? But we get to take the family photos, and some of you guys are excited about that. Thanksgiving comes with, like, family game nights, family arguments, all that kind of stuff that comes with the holiday season, right? And we really get to enjoy it. And for me, this holiday, um, I'm excited about it. It is going to hit a little bit different. Uh, this is going to be my first Thanksgiving, actually, without being able to spend it with my grandmother. And so that's, um, it's going to be a little tough for myself and for my family. Um, and, and some of us, we might be in that same situation. We're entering in this time of Thanksgiving, this holiday season, and maybe we lost somebody over the last uh, 365 days. Um, but I want to encourage you, man. This is what I've been speaking to myself is I want to use all the memories that I've treasured with my grandma and enter into Thanksgiving with joy that I actually was able to at least have those memories with her. Because as much as it's going to be hard not to, 
you know, lay down on her floor and watch football while she's talking and preparing meals and we're all at her house enjoying the day. It's going to be a little different. I still have so much to hold on to from the things that she taught me, the conversations we've had. And so if, you, if you're in here today and you might be in a similar situation where the holiday seasons are kind of rough for whatever reason, uh, let's just hold on to the memories that we have. And I encourage you, uh, like I'm encouraging myself, that we, at least we have great things uh, to remember our loved ones by. Um, and like Cherie said also, this is my last little thing I want to share with you guys. If you're here today and you don't have family in the area and you don't have a Thanksgiving set up for you or whatever, please let us know because our care team will go all out for you guys. Okay? And if you want to go to somebody's house, there's people here who will, with open arms, allow you to enjoy Thanksgiving in a nice warm meal so that way you don't have to spend the holidays by yourself, okay? We want to love on you guys as much as, you, as much as we can, so just let us know how we can serve you, and we will do that. Sound good? Cool, cool. All right. Uh, so like I mentioned earlier with a lot of those traditions that we have, uh, one other tradition that many of us can probably relate to is the tradition of, like, standing around the dinner table and sharing what you're thankful for or holding hands maybe before you pray. How many of you guys do that at your house? You know, you kind of spend time giving thanks, right? Well, at my house, it usually takes place like when we're extremely hungry, right? It's like we've been waiting all day for food, and, you know, now we're sitting around the food, and we're, we're holding hands, and we can look at the mashed potatoes, and we can look at the beans, greens, potatoes, tomato, right? And we're just ready to eat, and then it's like, now we got to go around the circle, and we got to say what we're thankful for first, and your stomach is just like, I'm thankful for what we're about to eat. Let's get to it, right? Uh, and so we sit there, and usually you have that one person in your family who just takes like nine days to share what they're thankful for, right? And, you, and I'm laughing, and you guys are laughing, but my family would be like, fool, that's you. <laughs> I'm that guy. And I, I can get a little long-winded, but the thing is, is if we didn't have to wait just one day out of the year to share what we're thankful for, then maybe it wouldn't take me that long. If I got a lot to be thankful for, y'all should have called me up earlier and said, Matt, what you thankful for? I could have got it all out the way a long time ago, right? But one day a year just isn't enough for me to share thanks. And so what we're going to do today is, as I was preparing this message, man, um, I got some inspiration and some thoughts, man, on some things about a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And so we're going to look at the life of David a little bit and see what we can learn together on what a lifestyle of thanksgiving would look like. Um, so we're going to spend some time in Psalm 34, uh, but before we hop into Psalm 34, let's just bow our heads and let's just pray and let's ask God to teach us this morning. Uh, Father, you have given us your word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, your word teaches us. Your word is how we come to know your heart. Um, your word is where we receive your wisdom. So I pray today, God that you would speak to each of us, that your word would resonate in our hearts, and that you would have your way and help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, God. Amen. So um, as we get into Psalm 34, the author of this psalm is David, just like many of the other psalms, not all of them, but a majority of the psalms are written by David. And I intentionally didn't say King David, because when we get into Psalm 34, he actually wasn't king at the time he wrote Psalm 34. 
So what's interesting is David was actually called to be king. He was anointed by the, Sam, by prophet, by the prophet Samuel to be king, but he actually wasn't the active king yet. And sometimes if you look through scripture, like God gives us vision for what we're called to do or who we're called to be, but he doesn't always tell us what the process is going to be to get there, right? And the same thing happened when we look at the life of Joseph, man. Joseph knew that he was called to be in a position of authority. Um, he saw the vision of it, but he didn't know that one day he's going to get thrown into slavery. He didn't know that one day he's going to spend time in prison, right? And he had to go through a process before God brought to fulfillment the things that uh, he showed him. And some of us were waiting. Some of us were in that same situation. We're waiting on God for something. We're waiting for something to be fulfilled. We're waiting on a situation to change. We're waiting on some drama to die down. We're waiting on some peace in our heart. We're waiting on some joy in our life. And, and we're, we're kind of in this, this waiting season. And meanwhile, while we're waiting for some things to be fulfilled, it seems like everything around us is falling apart, right? Uh, well, that's actually very similar to where we catch David in the midst of him writing Psalm 34, right? When we catch David in the midst of this, he's actually in a very intense time of his life. Okay, and I'm not talking about his battle with Goliath. That was already, he already passed that giant. He's dealing with something else now. I'm talking about a, a, a fight for his life, right? He's running from the current king, Saul, and he doesn't know if he's going to make it. So it's very, very intense. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, just think about this for a minute, right? Psalm 34 is the, is the beginning point of David's 13-year journey of running from King Saul. 13 years. What? 13 years on the run for his life, right? And if, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you, you definitely heard me correctly. David was already called by God. He was already anointed by the prophet to be king, yet he's running for his life and doesn't even know if he's going to make it to see another day. Right, how intense. Right, so let's peek into the scripture now. Just a little bit of background. And let's see what David says in Psalm 34. Okay, so it'll be up on the screen. And Psalm 34 starts like this in verse 1. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Pause. What? Didn't I just say he was running for his life? The first thing that he writes in Psalm 34, he's running for his life. All this chaos is going on. The first thing that he gets down on paper is he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's goodness with me. Let us exalt his name together. So here we have David. He's running for his life, but he says, I will bless the Lord. He's supposed to be the king, and he's not, but he says his praise will always be on my lips, a.k.a. I ain't going to complain about it, right? He doesn't know what tomorrow is going to hold, but he says, I will boast in the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I am confusion because my responses are not always that way, right? But we can see a great picture into David's heart in this situation, and we have to remember that when David's writing this, he's not thinking about us. He's not like writing this like, oh, I got to craft up something good so those people in 2021 could be like, hmm, David is a good writer. All right? He's not writing this like, ooh, I got to pretend 
to feel a certain way so that way I can get more likes on Instagram. And maybe if I get like 100 likes on Instagram, maybe I'll start feeling better about myself. Like, no, he's not crafting this up. This is actually a real expression of how David is feeling in this moment. And this is what I really love about the book of Psalms because that's exactly what it is. The book of Psalms is a journal. It's us peeking into someone else's heart as they live life on a day-to-day basis. And I love that about the Psalms because it's, it shows the expressions, it shows the experiences, it shows the their, their, their records of their thoughts and their thinking, their emotions, and it gets us to an intimate place of what they're going through as they live life on a day-to-day basis. So the Psalms are something that we can really relate to in a lot of different times uh, throughout our life. And so the fact that he's expressing thankfulness and praise in the midst of chaos, it, it doesn't really add up, right? But if we continue reading, uh, David's actually going to illuminate a little bit for us on where this praise comes from. So let's pick back up in verse 4 and see what David says as he keeps writing. In verse 4 he says, I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. Right? Look at that. I sought the Lord. I I prayed to the Lord. I bowed before the Lord. I sought first his kingdom and his righteousness. I put God in the midst of my situation. I didn't try to figure it out on my own. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he rescued me from all my fears. Right? It doesn't say exactly how and when David was seeking the Lord, but we know David was a man after God's own heart. So I can imagine on this journey, he's spending time in prayer. He's reflecting on scriptures, and he's using that to build his confidence, not in himself, but in who God is in the midst of his situation. And so let's get a little bit more background on what's going on. So if we turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 21. Uh, Now, this is when David first leaves to run from King Saul, right? So we're going to pick up in the Old Testament story in 1 Samuel, uh, and this is where David is in real life as he's writing uh, Psalm 34. So verse, uh, verse 1 in 1 Samuel chapter 21, it says this. I'll wait for it on the screen so you guys can follow along. All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1, starts out like this. It says, David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you, right? And so we have to kind of unpack that. Like, why did he even say those words? Like, why are you alone? Why is nobody with you? And what's happening is because the priest Ahimelech, he knew that Saul had already put an order out against David. So the priest is looking at it like, David, why are you here right now? If I help you, I'm committing treason. You're by yourself. Like, what? What's really going on, David? Explain this situation. And so David, wanting to protect Ahimelech from uh, committing treason, tells him, like, hey, bro, I'm on a secret mission. Okay, you know, I can't tell nothing. I can't tell nothing about it. You know what I'm saying? But King Saul sent me on this private mission. It's G4 classified. I can't tell you. G4 means it's gangster level four. You really got to be up there to know this. So Ahimelech, I'm just telling you, I'm here because I'm supposed to be. Okay, don't be asking all them questions and stuff like that, but I'm here because I'm supposed to be. And then you read on to the scripture, and David then begins to ask for a weapon, and he begins to ask for some food. And Ahimelech is like, okay, sure, I mean, 
there's, there's a weapon over there, and, and there, there's some food that I have right here. And so David gets his request granted, and he kind of just moves on to the next city, right? And so then David moves on from Nob, and he goes to another city called Gath. And we're going to pick up on 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. So there's a couple verses later um, on chapter 10, and this is what it reads now. So David had left Nob, and now he's headed to Gath. In verse 10 it says, David fled, from, fled that day from Saul, Saul's presence, and went to King Achish of Gath. Verse 11 says, But Achish's servants said to him, Isn't this David, the, the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Right? David took this to heart and became afraid of King Achish of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Right? And if you keep reading, what it says is the king was like, why would you guys bring me this crazy man? Let him go. Get him out of here. Right? And he just kind of lets David like, run free. Right? So we look at the first few days of David's journey right? of, of running for his life from King Saul. And even in the first couple of days, David was able to see God's hand at work. He left his land with no weapon at all, and now he has a weapon. And ironically, it's the weapon that he used to kill Goliath earlier in his life. How strange is that? He left with no food, and now he's been given food, and not just any food, but the food that he actually ate, if you read the scriptures, was the bread that the people of Israel used to represent God's presence. So he was getting a consecrated bread that he actually wasn't supposed to eat, that only the priests were able to eat, but he's getting it, and it symbolizes God's presence being with him. So now he's carrying bread that is symbolic for God's presence being with him. He was in the presence of people who should have killed him. Ahimelech knew, isn't there something weird going on? Isn't Saul out for you? Like, Ahimelech should have turned him in. And then he was in Gath, and they were like, hey, that's David. That's the guy killed. And what's ironic about that is David actually killed thousands of Philistines, and that was a Philistine city. He should have been killed by them, if not killed, at least turned into King Saul. But twice now, David was let go free, right? So what we see from David is not only is he happy to be alive, but he's able to see that God is with him every single step of the way, right? And from David's life, we see this. Although David's situation was bad, he found reason to be thankful. I'm going to say that again. Although David's situation was bad, he found reason to be thankful. He was still on the run for his life, right? It's not like uh, it was the end of End of the chapter there, okay, Saul's off my back now. Like, no, he was still on the run for his life. He didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold. But even in the midst of all of this chaos, David is still thankful because, hey, even though tomorrow I don't know what holds, at least today I can say, yo, God was with me. God was here. And so then what's awesome is as we go back to the psalm, David then begins to write again, and then he begins to encourage Anybody who might read his psalm later, he begins to encourage us. He begins to encourage anybody uh, who will read through his journal entry. I like to call it journal entry. So we pick back up in Psalm 34 and check out what David says in verse 5. It says, those who look to him are radiant with joy. 
Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. And so this is what David is saying. He's saying, look, man, I had my back up against the wall many times, more than once. I was scared for my life more than once. I cried out to God because I knew I needed him. And guess what? He rescued me in those times more than once. And so that's where this joy comes from. That's where this thankfulness comes from. And then he says something that encourages all of us in the scripture that we're all probably familiar with and that I love. He says, taste and see. And what, he, what he's saying to all of us and what he's saying to, to those that might, might read his writing is he's saying, go and judge for yourself. Go find out for yourself. Go, go seek him for yourself. Go run to him for yourself. Go bow down before him for yourself. And you will find out that God is good to those who take refuge in him. He is good to those who take refuge in him. I just want to share a story real quick. You guys care if I share a story with you real quick? All right. I told you guys I tell on myself every time I preach, okay? So I'm about to tell on myself. All right. But anyways, um, so back in December 10th, 2008, I remember the exact day, um, I was in my apartment by myself because both my roommates were going out of town. They, they both lived in um, Virginia. I was from California, right? So one of my roommates went to Richmond. The other one went to D.C. They went home. I'm at the apartment by myself, and I'm sober. That is a key detail to this because if you knew my life in 2008, that was a rare occasion, right? But I'm in my apartment by myself. I'm completely sober. And what was going on that night was... I had made a promise to God back in August. God, I'm going to stop doing this. God, I'm going to stop doing that. God, I'm going to stop doing this. All right? And so I'm laying in bed in December, and months have gone by, and I'm tossing and turning in my sleep. I can't get no peace. And it's like God is giving me a movie reel of my semester. He's like, bro, you remember when you said this? And I, I could just kind of see in my brain the progression of my semester. And now I'm at a point now in December where I am not living for God. I am far. God is here. Matt Lynch is over here. <laughs> he wailed. I'm like, uh. And what's really crazy about this time was, um, so I had a lot of confusion in my life because I was a sociology major, which meant almost all my professors were atheists. And they were outspoken about being atheists, right? Not only that was one of my close friends that lived downstairs from me, uh, she was a chemistry major who was very, very intelligent, and she believed in Scientology, right? And so she was always in my ear about how God's not real. And what's crazy, guys, and what I have to put a pin in this right here, because in August, if you've heard my story before, I actually had demons cast out of me when I, uh, when I was 18 years old um, by my dad. When I was 12 years old, I saw demons cast out of a man in church, right? Imagine being 12 years old and you see that happen. You're like, huh? Okay. But then at 19, it actually happened to me. And so six months after that happened to me, I'm back in denial. And that's how precious our faith is, guys. And that's all I want to say about that is that what I've realized is if I don't stay close to God, I'm going to drift. No matter what experience God gives me, no matter what miracle God gives me, he, God casted demons out of me, and still six months later, I'm like, God, where? Huh? What? 
huh? Because I allowed myself to drift away from God. And that's really what happens, right? There's a fire of God that is consuming, that is captivating, that is full of joy, that is full of love. And then there's a fire of hell right here. And what I was doing, what many of us do, is I was living like this. (laughs) Ah! Right? Instead of just being consumed in this fire and sustaining a strong relationship with Jesus. Right? And so I'm in my room and all that's going down. And I'm just unsettled in my spirit. I'm like, what is going on, God? Why? I can't get any sleep. I rip my blankets off of me, and I run to the bathroom, and I just fall on my knees, and I start crying. Like, Jesus, man, I know I ain't been living right. Oh, please help me. Forgive me. And I'm just confessing everything. I'm being real. I'm like, God, I know what you did in August. I know how you showed me yourself. But here I am again. I don't even know if I believe, God. Please reveal yourself to me again. And as much as I laid out, as much as God filled in. And I laid everything out before him. And I never felt such a bear hug and such a comfort in my spirit from God's presence ever. And in that moment, I felt God say, Matt, you need to start reading your Bible. You're trying to figure me out on your own. You're trying to live for me, and you don't even know what I'm saying because you're not in my word. Get in the word and figure out how this thing works. And I will strengthen you, and I will teach you how to actually live for me instead of you trying to figure it out on your own. Right? And that was a pivotal moment in my life. So when David says in Psalm 34 that this poor man cried out, oh, I know what he's talking about. And I know that I'm not the only one in here that knows what David's talking about when he says that this poor man was crying out to him. All right? And so you know what I did December 10, 2008? I did like David did. I started journaling. I wrote down my experience. And I said, man, I can't forget this, right? I, I need to write this down, and, and may, maybe one day it'll help somebody else. And I just want to keep this moment fresh because it's a very real moment to me, and I don't want to lose, like, the feeling. I don't want to – this has to be – I have to write down exactly what just happened on this bathroom floor, right? And so I did that, and, and I used that as a moment, too, because – and we'll get into it in a second, but just like – um, when, I, when we have kids, our kids ask questions. Daddy, why do you love God? Why do we go to church? And one day I'm going to be like, shoot, let's open up this journal. December 10, 2008, Micah, let me tell you what happened, right? And I'll have it documented. I'll have it really descriptive of what happened in that moment. And so many of us have heard this cliche before, right, about counting your blessings, right? And, and I, I agree with that. We should count our blessings. But I think we should take it one step for, further and start documenting our blessings, Right? I think that's something that God would actually want uh, from his people and from all of us is to start documenting those things. And after we document them, to start sharing them. Because uh, if, if we look at the life of, of Joshua and the Israelites, and some of you guys are familiar with this story. If you're not, I'll paraphrase a little bit. But the Israelites at that time were trying to make way towards Jericho. Right? And God told them, hey, go down to the Jordan River, and he's got, he's, God said, I'm going to take you guys in a route that you ain't never been before, right? And so they get down there, and God does something big for his people, right? He does something big for his people just like he did for David, just like he's done for me, and just like he's done for many of you. And as the, as the people of Israel show up to the Jordan River, right, it's a very, very chaotic uh, river. It's not a peaceful, like, you're not having a Devo by the river, right? At least not this portion of it. It's like a really active river, right? And it says that at this time, 
it's probably about 10 feet deep and probably 100 yards uh, to cross. And so all my football people, 100 yards is about 33 feet, right? So you're, you're looking at like, um, you know, trying to, no, no, wait, what did I say? Hold on, that's backwards. Uh, yeah, 33 yards. So it's about 100 feet, 33 yards to get across this thing. And so what happens is God tells him, hey, as soon as you guys step feet um, on, the, on the waters, I will move for you guys, right? And so the river's not calm, but the priests, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence. And as soon as their feet come to the shore, all of a sudden, the chaos of the water begins to, to cease and get, begins to calm. And then right before him, it says that, the water begins to kind of stand up, and as the water stands up, this side of the water begins to just continue to go downstream, all right? And so now you see dry land in the midst of them, dry land in the midst of them, and they begin to walk through it, right? So that, and you might be thinking, like, bro, didn't that happen? Are you mixing up Moses? Like, didn't this already happen Moses? And no, this is actually the second time that God has done this, right? And I think that's also a pivotal point because What's interesting is these are the generation right after Moses. So they had heard that God had done this before. But now they had to experience it for themselves. And that's literally what life is like. Some of us have moms and dads who have experienced God, and they tell us God's stories. And then we get in situations, but we don't try God. We tried our own. And God is saying, hey, your parents have tried me, and they see my faithfulness. When you get into a situation, try me and understand my faithfulness. And so now God is putting them in a situation that they have heard before. Some of them may have even lived in it before, but now they have to activate their own personal faith to walk with God through what seems to be impossible. And that's exactly what God calls each of us to. We can't live off mommy and daddy's faith. We can't live off of grandma's faith, but he calls us to a moment where he says, grab hold of this. I will walk with you. Trust me through this. And in the midst of that, as they're walking, God tells them, hey, man, I need you guys to actually stop real quick and, and pick up a stone from the middle of that dry land. What, God? Yeah, 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 you heard me. Uh, while, the, while the ground is dry, pick up a stone, right? And so you guys are probably wondering what the heck this is, right? And so this is probably about the size of one of those stones. Now, this is paper mache, so I can like, hey, you know what I mean? But they said that these were about 100 pounds, okay? So they weren't just like picking this up like, all right, God, we got the rock, we got the stone. No, like they had to carry these things across the dry land, right? And God told them, hey, I want you guys to use those stones as a memorial for your children. So when your children ask you, what do these stones represent? You have something to tell them. Let me tell you what God did when we got to the Jordan River. So when God does something, Daddy, why did we go to church? Daddy, why did we? I got a memorial for you, son. Let me, let me tell you some of the stuff that God has done. This is why we believe. This is why we pray. This is why we love people. This is why we serve people. And God is telling them, hey, this stone I want you to use as a a testimony, and something that you can be thankful for because you'll never forget what I have done, all right? And so they grab those 12 stones, and some of us are, are in this place right now, and you're probably already in your mind thinking like, man, I got some memorials. I got some memorials. Now, if I was at my daddy's church right now, uh, he pastors a black Baptist church, they'd all be like, amen, amen. But anyways, you guys don't have to do all that. But I know some of you guys in your spirit right now, you're like, dude, I have some memorials. 
God has brought me through some stuff, right? Some of you guys understand this because some of you guys, you had a car accident that you shouldn't have walked away from. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you guys had a, a, a baby that the doctor said wasn't going to make it. So you, you understand what I'm talking about when we say memorials, right? Some of you guys, you had people look down on you because of where you came from, and they said, you're not going to be nothing. And God has opened door after door after door and blessed your life, and now you can say, oh, I got some memorials of God's hand on my life, right? So when we talk about this, some of you guys are already welling up with some of those memories. You're like, yes, I have some memorial stones that I can share with my family. And so... The challenge is if we know this, like David knows this and like I know this, we have to allow thanksgiving to flow from our heart and out of our lips. We have to allow the thanksgiving to come out. We need to begin sharing with our family members, sharing with our coworkers, sharing with the people sitting next to us, sharing at our city groups. Share those things that God has done. Don't just be thankful in here. Be thankful out here. And begin to explain and share those memorials. And some of you, you might be sitting here right now, and you're battling in your mind. You're saying, Matt, I don't have no miraculous moment like Joshua. I, I haven't seen God's hand move in my life like King David. I, I just don't, I don't know if I have any, any memorials like, you, like you're talking about. And what I want to do is I, I really want to invite you to think about the cross for a minute. I want to think, I want you to take a second and think about what the cross actually means for each of us, right? And so if that's you, whether, whether you're here investigating faith and, and you don't really know where you stand with, uh, with Christianity and you're just kind of here, maybe somebody invited you, or you're a longtime follower of Jesus, what we know is that the cross of Jesus is a miracle that changes everything for everyone. Don't matter your skin. Don't matter where you grew up. Don't matter who your mama, who your daddy, who your cousin, no matter about Ray Ray down the street, the cross is a miracle that changes everything for everyone. And if God, if God never answered another prayer of mine, if he, answered an, if he never answered another prayer of yours, he's done enough on that cross for us to be thankful, right? And the, the, the cross is an opportunity for us to be intimate with the God of the universe. The cross is a miracle that forgives every sin that we've ever committed. That miracle on the cross shows the love of a father rescuing all of his children. And the miracle on that cross is our invitation to join him for eternity. I, th I think we all have something to be thankful for. So I want to I give us a challenge. Um, this next week, as we go about our holiday season, um, and as we get on vacation from work, and we get to kick our feet up, and maybe you'll have three kids running around your house trying to break up all your peace. That's me, right? But find some solitude sometime over this next uh, holiday season. And I just want to challenge you. Maybe, maybe there's, there's two things that I want to I give you that you might be able to implement. One of them is maybe you need to start your personal journey, personal journal, right? Maybe you don't journal much, and maybe you just kind of try and store things in your brain. But if you're like me, if I store it in here, it's literally gone in 24 hours. Me no got go memory. It's not there. Like, if I don't write it down, it don't get done. And I try to tell my, it could be the most important thing, and I'll be like, oh, I ain't going to forget this. This is super important. Next day, Matt, did you, uh, <laughs> I forgot, I forgot, right? 
So sit down, get some alone time, and just begin to journal. Go back to as far as you can. Just be like, man, what are some moments that I saw God's hand? Let me write them down. Let me document them. Because some of us are standing here on the backs of other people's prayers. Some of us are sitting here right now because God's hand has been upon our life. And I think that it would be a great practice for each of us if we started to journal and document. Because one day someone's going to ask us, why do you believe? And you can just be like, bro, what page do you want me to turn to? <laughs> I got 600 pages right here, right? And here's the other thing. And uh, this is something that I actually took from the Dowdy family. Chris Dowdy is one of our uh, teaching team pastors here too. But his family does a family book. And so for him, they have a book that they open every single uh, November, and starting from November 1st. And they all write down what they're thankful for in that book. And they try and do it on a daily basis, different things that they're thankful for. And if you go visit the Dowdies at any time in November, they make all their guests also write in the book. So if you don't want to write in the book, don't go to his house in November, right? But if you're a visitor at his house in the book of November, they'll say, hey, we have a book of Thanksgiving that our family holds on to, and we want to know what you're thankful for. Can you just document it in, in, your, in our book, right? And I think that that's a brilliant family practice that we're probably going to start whenever my kids can start writing. Or maybe we could just write for them. But I think that's a brilliant idea, and maybe that's something that you might grab hold of also. But I think that those are two very good practices that we can live out, um, making sure that we store up those memorial stones of the things that God has done. And so as we reflect over the years that we've been walking with God, or maybe we've been wrestling with God, but whatever the last decade or two has been like, as we begin to uh, reflect on those things and those pivotal moments and the times that we've seen God's hand at work. Let's share those with our wife, our husband. Let's share those with our kids. Let's document them. And let's begin to be bold and be like, hey, I'm going to share this Thanksgiving, right? So that way when we show up to Thanksgiving dinner and our family's like, okay, guys, what are you thankful for? Oh, I'm prepared for this. I'm prepared. Matt preached last week. Okay, I got something for y'all. And you can share something that's more meaningful than like, I'm thankful that I woke up this morning. I'm thankful that I have kids. Are you really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I joke on my kids a lot. I need to stop that. I love my kids. All right. But honestly, last thing I want to close with, guys, is, man, if, if you're here today, and this is the most important part to me, if you're here today and you have not started a relationship with Jesus and you hear about how he protected David, how he walked with the children of Israel, how he's moved in my life, how he's moved in the lives of the people that you're sitting next to right now. If you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I really want to encourage you. That might be the first thing that you write down. You might have been wrestling with God. I've been there. I literally remember sitting in church at 18 years old like, this dude knows everything I've ever done. Who is this pastor? Huh? Who, who's giving him all my dirty laundry? And my heart's just beating like a thousand miles an hour. I'm in church like... He don't know my heart's beating that fast. And just remember wrestling with God and, and trying to suppress the feeling of God drawing me near to him, right? But if you're here this morning, and may, maybe, you, maybe that's you, or maybe, you just, maybe you're just like what I was at 19 years old. The fire of God is here, and the fire of hell is here, and maybe we're doing this thing. <laughs> I want to encourage you today, okay? Because I'm promising you, the things that really are going to make a difference and your personal journal are going to happen when you're here. 
you're going to see God do a lot of stuff when you're here. Oh, you're going to see him do some stuff over here, but it might not be the way you want it to. <laughs> Tell you that, you're going to have some hard lessons learned over here. But you go over here, oh, you're going to have some stones to pick up for your family. Yeah, let me tell you. Let me tell you what God did. Turn my speaker up, right? And you're going to have a lot of stuff to tell us. So I want to encourage you today, if you're here, hop up in this fire. Join us in this fire. Because here's the deal. Just like God held back the waters for the children of Israel, he's holding back waters for us too. And the water that he's holding back is not just water that we can drown in. He's holding back the waters of eternal judgment. That's what the cross was. He's holding back waters. And he's saying, like, I, don't, I don't want this for my people, but I am a holy and just God. And my son Jesus is going to be the sacrifice that I give for them to be intimate with me from now all the way into eternity. So he's holding back water still this day. It just looks a little different. And the land that we walk on right now, it's not dry because it's covered in all blood. That's what we walk on. We're walking on the blood of Jesus. Every step that we take is because Jesus sacrificed on that cross everything he had for us to be brought back into relationship and fellowship with Jesus. So when you look down, we're not walking on dry land like they did. We're walking on land that is covered by the sacrifice of our Savior. So let's hop in here and let's enjoy fellowship with him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness in our life. God, when we go through chaotic times in our life, stressful times in our life, which we know come and go, I ask, God, that you would remind us to see your hand in the midst of it. Sometimes we look at situations, God, and it gets overwhelming. But if we look at you, God, you are our refuge. Just like David said, I sought the Lord, and he rescued me. So, Father, whatever we have going on, I pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, remind us of your faithfulness. And I pray, God, that this Thanksgiving time wouldn't be just another day or another week of family tradition but it would be a day or a week of incredible intimacy with you and incredible time with you as you show us, God, your hand upon our life and the things that we can write down as memorial stones to share with those around us. We love you so much, God. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.